0: Hello and welcome to Where Many Have Gone Before, the podcast where I, John D. Ruddy, watch Star Trek for the very first time. This podcast was kindly sponsored by my supporters on Patreon. I would like to welcome some of our newest supporters, including Sean Bates, Jesse Olehan and Catherine Gilks. Thank you so much for all your support. If you wish to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash John D. Ruddy. This week, I am once again joined by Mr. Michael Letty. We will be talking about the episodes Arena, directed by Joseph Pevney, story by Frederick Brown and teleplay by Gene L. Kuhn, And Tomorrow Is Yesterday, directed by Michael O'Herlihy and written by DC Fontana. In the previous episode, I was complaining about Niall McDonough's terribly sounding microphone, which I had a lot of work to try and salvage. There must have been a little bit of karma towards myself. Not good karma, bad karma for me complaining so much about Niall and his microphone that... This week, while I was editing this episode, for whatever reason, my microphone decided to be full of noise. And it was super quiet, and I don't know what happened, to be quite honest. <sighs> but, thankfully, I had recorded the whole thing on my phone as well, so the sound quality for this episode It's not terrible, I'm just going to say this now, it's not terrible, it's totally listenable, but it's not as good as it has been in previous episodes, just to give you a heads up. So, without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Where Many Have Gone Before. I'm joined again by Mr. Michael Letty for two intrepid episodes this time. Mr. Michael, how are you doing?
1: I am doing very well, John. Very well indeed. Looking forward to going where many others have gone before. Excellent.
0: So tell me, what have you been watching this week?
1: I have been watching a new American Private Eye show. A lot of episodes of this show called Stump Town. Mm -hmm. Starring Kobe Smulders, who you probably know from the Marvel movies. Maria Hill. And also from um, How I Met Your Mother. Yes, indeed. And I finished episode 13 last night. I watched 12 and 13 last night, and they were excellent. 12 was a little stronger than 13, but it's a really great show. I love I love Kobe Smulders, and I'm really digging the show. Great scripts, and I'll probably watch another one. I don't know. I might watch some... Uh, there's another sci-fi show called Emergence. Yes. A little girl with superpowers, and I yes. have a couple of episodes of that to watch. So that'll probably occupy my TV screen This evening. Very good. You weren't impressed with Space Force, I saw. I watched the first three episodes of Space Force. It was so unfunny, and I found it to be mixed up in terms of what it was trying to be. Yeah. That I, for the first time, it's the first time in a couple of years that I pulled the plug myself and thought, I'm not going to watch any more of this show. Normally, I finish things. This isn't for me. Normally, I finish things because I do the, the entertainment slot on local radio, and so I always feel that Even if I'm not enjoying a show, I should watch it to completion. Yeah. And that's happened a couple of times. But by this time, I thought there's nothing more for me here at episode 3. What did you think of Space Force?
0: I haven't watched it. I I only saw the trailer for it. Yeah. I mean... It t- it takes a lot for me to get into a TV show anyway because I find TV shows are a massive commitment of time in com in comparison to yes. uh, that's that's something where that where me and my wife differ on massively is she is very much a TV series person and I am very much a film person because I love how a film can just get in tell its story beginning middle and end and away it goes. And you feel like you've had this wonderful relationship with these characters and you've gone through an emotional arc with them. And my wife is, prefers, well, once, once you get to know these characters, then you get to spend loads of time with them. And I mean, I have watched a lot more TV since being with her. Like I mean, um there's a lot of shows where I've kind of put off watching or but you know, it's it's nice to watch with her. So like the likes of community, for example. I didn't bother watching Community when it came out, but I then went through watching all of Community in the space of about three or four weeks and I loved it. And um, Same with uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I didn't get into that until I started going out with my now wife and uh, all sorts of kind of things like that.
1: Yeah, I'm a T. Te- I get I get her point of view. I really do. I, I always say that same thing about spending time with characters. Like when you find a show like House yeah. or a show like Dexter and you get to spend six years or eight years with those characters. Yeah. That, and that's the way I watch those shows. I didn't binge them. I watched them new every week. Yeah. That was brilliant. Yeah. That was fantastic, you know.
0: I, whereas I, I more often prefer to just sit down and, you know, go on a two, two and a half hour, maybe three hour movie. Well, I suppose that's that's kind of what I love about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is it kind of bridges that gap where you've got these standalone films, but you follow the characters over a series of movies, which... Uh, which is nice to do.
1: It's like a TV series. It, it is, it, 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 yeah. It works like a TV series, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, 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 I get that. Yeah, I get that. And, and um, oh, the two Avengers movies were like a season finale. Yeah, like oh, back to, absolutely. Like, like a two-part. It was like a two-part season finale. Yeah. It was so TV. Yeah.
0: 100 percent. And particularly just the way it all finishes off, you know, with uh, the, the cast members signing off. Although I have, I have heard that that was um, in in the final credits of. Uh, Avengers Endgame the the cast members sign off their autographs uh, as part of the credits yes. and I have heard tell that that is how the cast the original cast of Star Trek sign off in their final movie uh, I, that that was directly influenced by that apparently the Russo brothers oh, okay. the Russo brothers always That's... liked the way that they signed off their names into the stars and I haven't seen that yet, that's but, a wonderful, but I will. That's a wonderful movie. Yeah. Undiscovered Country
1: is yeah. one of the great Star Trek movies. Great Star Trek yeah. stories.
0: Full stars, I'm looking perfect. forward to watching the films, actually. You know, particularly mm-hmm. now that I get the crew, now that I know who they are and what they do. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into the films with, you know, bigger budgets and uh, different stories. Um, so that's exciting.
1: Part of the fun of the movies, too, is, is the fact that uh, I know you've seen some of the movies, but having seen the TV series, you will then recognise the supporting Yes, cast. exactly. These people like Kyle and Janice Rand, who may not have many lines, but you'll be able to go, "Oh, that's that guy yeah. who's always in the beanie room." Exactly. Or, that's that woman who's always yeah yeah that's cool. I am I'm really really looking forward to
0: that to getting the little things. appreciated. like even like watching the J. J. A. Browns movies. I know that there are certain details, certain things. That are just lost on me. I think even just the, like the design of the shuttles um, and things like that, where I'm like, all right, yeah, it's 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 a shuttle as opposed to having watched it going, oh my god, it's the shuttles from the original show. That's cool, you know. Um, so I'm quite excited to to reapproach those films again and with of with course, a, with an experienced eye. But anyway, speaking of experiencing Star Trek for the first time. Episode
1: 19, Arena. Ah! You said a long time ago there was very few images you, re- you remembered from Classic Trek. Or new yes. Movies. But I think this was one this of the ones. This was one
0: of the ones. And what was so good was I didn't know what it was until well over halfway into the episode, which was very exciting. So we will, we will leave the reveal. We will leave the reveal, even though it's totally going to be on the uh title card of this podcast, <laughs> but it'll be, it'll be <laughs> fine. It'll be fine. Uh, we'll keep the suspense. So the episode opens and it's episode 19 arena. And I'm thinking, oh, is this what I think it is? Is this the episode where Spock and Kirk fight to the death? No, it's not. It's, ah, it's 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 not that one. No, it's it's not, not that one. Because you got me a little bit excited. You, you, you were like, oh, there's an episode coming up that, uh, based on what you've said, and I was like, oh, is it going to be this? And it was called Arena. So I was like, is this the... No, no, it's not. That is that is still to come. Um, so... Uh,
1: I wonder where that is. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder
0: where that hmm. is, John. I have no idea. Um. Mm. So one one thing that I have noted here, just kind of straight off, and it's something is I'm so glad that they they have the original aspect ratio in on Netflix, because that's something that I've been experiencing with watching The Simpsons on Disney Plus. That uh, they They they've cropped it, and oh, it can be so annoying because there are some shots that are just. Re- they're badly framed. Occasionally, it'll even yes. cut out important details of the shot. And it's, mm. oh, it's so annoying. Like, you know, it's, it's it's gone, it's it's gone backwards into the, the realms of Pan and Scan, except, ironically, in the opposite direction.
1: Yeah, no, it's terrible. For my, my worst experience with that is the television series Kung Fu from the 1970s. Yes. I have it on on DVD, but for season one, they decided, oh, it would be a good idea to crop this to 16.9 and it's horrendous and nobody liked it. I hate it's horrendous. it. Horrendous. Yeah. It makes, it ruins the framing for everything and this is an action show and it's just, it ruins it. Yeah. At least for season two and three they stopped doing it, But but season one is ruined. Yeah, like if something is shot
0: with a certain aspect ratio in mind... You, you can't just retroactively change the framing. Agreed. Um, I mean, technically you can. And okay, occasionally that's actually what they did. Uh, uh, some shows do that. Well, tons of YouTubers do
1: it. The Wire, they went, they went back and did The Wire, but the creators came back and used their source film and they... Yes, yeah. exactly,
0: exactly. Like, um, I'm pretty sure The Hobbit shot in like 5K, but it wasn't necessarily, they weren't always going to use all 5K of it. They could crop into certain shots. But anyway, so um, we join the intrepid crew of the Starship Enterprise. They're visiting Commodore Travers on Cestus Three, And they have received a couple of communications with them. And one of which, Commodore Travers is insisting that they bring down a tactical team with them. So there's there's a little little bit of a mystery going. Okay, right? What's going on? They're they're quite looking forward to meeting Commodore Travers. So they beam down to Earth observation outpost Cestus Three, and they discover that it is destroyed. Dum dum dum. I I love the design of this place. Actually, I like this. This set has to have been shot. Uh, has to have been built for another show because. There's way too much money in this set to have been this one-off episode. Like, it was clearly built for something else. And they were like, we could do an episode of Star Trek here. I wonder. I wonder. But that's that's, that's just my theory. No, what
1: it probably is. I'll find out here. But, yeah, you're right. So much of what they had on those shows, all those shows back then, were repurposed from the show that was filming next door. Yeah, so it turns out that
0: uh, the messages that they received were seemingly old messages and that they got to them too late. But they find a survivor, a beige shirt, as I like to call him, because he's wearing a beige shirt. Spock is picking up cold-blooded creatures, which if I was very smart, I could have twigged right then and there what was going on. But no, I wasn't... I wasn't. I wasn't sure at this point. So they send a red shirt out to check out what's going on, and he instantly gets annihilated in this weird red-blue dissolve effect. And also, the Enterprise is under attack, so they have to put up their shields. So no beaming machine uh, in action. <laughs> so they're firing down these missiles or what what are disruptors they just they just keep dropping in, they're just barraging the whole place they're like mortars and of course kirk is feeling bad for being stuck down on this planet he's like it's my ship mr spock i should be there once again kirk's attachment to the enterprise is very strong uh so they're looking out towards the high ground and uh, kirk runs over to where he because they've been here before so they know where the arsenal is so they run over kirk runs across the battlefield as it has become and of course kirk being kirk does these absolutely ridiculous rolls. william shatner just must love rolling on the ground and just tossing himself across whatever space he can it's like, I really admire how many different types of rolls and flips I have seen him do so far. It's hilarious.
1: He's a very physical actor. I mean, I'm watching TJ Hooker at the moment, yeah. which he made in the 1980s. And he's incredibly fit. And he is, it's him on screen doing a lot of chasing, yeah. jumping. I'm trying to think if he does any rolling. But he's a fit, fit man. Oh, big went time. Well into his, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so the Enterprise has fired off some photon torpedoes. We still haven't seen what this ship is that they're firing at. So the communications have gone out and Kirk wants Sulu to get away and protect the ship. And he's like, but what about you? It's like, oh no, I care too much for the ship. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting that he is willing to protect his ship over himself, which is a new development, uh, I think, that uh, I have seen in Kirk. So the 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 survivor beige shirt, which they have found, uh, will be dead in half an hour <laughs> if they don't get him back up to the ship. So Kirk gets a grenade launcher and puts these hilarious blue orbs that are the grenades, apparently, into this. Uh, Spock's locator has been overloaded and it blows up, which is what like I I don't understand how these little devices should be able to blow up so quickly. Like were they? Designed by the, by Samsung, that they overheat and explode. So, uh, so they fire off the grenade launcher and it has this really cool badass effect, which, like, very simple, very cheap, but it, 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 it impressed me. Mm. Um, so the aliens have been beamed away and the Enterprise is in hot pursuit. Uh, into unknown space, an unknown corner of the galaxy, which is very exciting. At this point, I was wondering: oh, Is this Klingons?
1: Is this uh, you know? I, I was. Wa- I had the same thought. I when I yeah. watched this in nineteen ninety two, I was reading my review there. Yeah, uh, I had the same thought. I was like, I don't remember this from when I was a kid. Is it Klingons? Yes. And it was, I
0: was very excited. I was like, "Is this the? Is this the reveal of the Cleons?" But no, no, not yet, because the survivor is explaining just the ruthless nature of the attackers. So it turns out that the message that was sent was actually a trap to draw the Enterprise because the Enterprise was the only protection in that sector. So these aliens seemingly drew them in so that they could destroy the Enterprise to potentially stage an invasion. And Kirk is on full attack mode here. Battle stations, red alert, this is not a drill. Super exciting. So they're wondering about, you know, this corner of space where they're going to and Spock only knows. There's no specifics on intelligent life. Only rumors or space legends. They're upping the warp factor to warp factor seven, which could be very dangerous. I, I, I love this line um, where he's like, uh, "Oh, I think I think Sc- uh, Scotty, it's either Scott Scotty or Spock says this," where he says. Um, Uh, they might be faster than we are and Kirk says they'll have to prove it I was like ooh I like that that's a good line so Kirk means to destroy them he wants to overtake them and blow them out of the sky Uh, like punish them is the phrase he uses and I'm wondering is, is he looking for vengeance of this outpost and Spock is concerned because you know he's thinking like this is sentient life you're being very aggressive here James uh which was very intriguing then kirk says out here we're the only police around and i was like oh that really rings a strange bell at in this day and age as we're watching mm-hmm. as we're watching police brutally attack peaceful protesters yes oh my god yeah yay i mean you know props to actual brave police who Actually uphold the law, but um, (sighs) But
1: these same issues. I mean, those things were happening in the sixties as well. Well, well, this is the
0: thing. This is the thing. There were riots in the summers of the nineteen sixties as well. There were like I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm working on a video at the moment uh, about the Stonewall uprising of nineteen sixty nine in Greenwich Village of the the gay bar that was raided and it essentially became the. Stepping off point for the next stage in evolution of the LGBTQ plus community.
1: Ah, okay, okay.
0: So uh, yeah, it it is. There are so many echoes of the sixties. Um so they have upped to warp factor it, which is very exciting, and they come across an uncharted solar system, and Uhura lets them know that we're being scanned from this from that system, but the other ship is heading away from that system it's very strange it's like what's going on they're they're not going to that system, but no, the other ship seems to be wary of that system it's it's it's, it's very good. And then it turns out the alien ship is slowing down and until it's actually stopped, it is unmoving. And Kirk is like, right, we are going to blow it out of the sky. So Kirk is locking on. Spock seems very uneasy about this. Some, a, a very, very good, very subtle performance from Leonard Nimoy, actually, because he doesn't say anything here, but you can just see he's not right about this. And I really like mm. that. So they're slowing down too. And of course, slowing down has really given them a big shunt and everybody uh, staggers from side to side. (laughs) I have this noted later, but I'm going to say it now. So the Starship Enterprise doesn't have seatbelts. Like that's a major design flop, particularly given the amount of times where they're having to hold on to their desks
1: for dear life. You know, it's like, this is a very good point. They don't learn in the twenty fourth century either. So.
0: No, if if inertia is that big a factor in these starships, then guys, get yourself some seatbelts. I mean, we just we we discovered this in the second half of the twentieth century that seatbelts were a necessity. So get with it, guys. So it turns out now that there's no power. They cannot get away, and. It turns out that the solar, that, that solar system is holding both ships. And it's not a tractor beam. It's, it's unidentifiable power, as Spock puts it, which is very intriguing. And then upon the screen, we get some trippy visuals. We are the Metrons. And I thought this was quite funny because it reminded me uh, very much of Captain Scarlet. This is the voice of the Mrons. <laughs> Anytime, I used to have two lights in my bedroom. Uh, they were like side by side. They were like little studio light kind of things, very, very two thousands. And uh, if you got a CD and you shine it about, because the CD would pick up both lights, you could shine it about, and it actually looked like the Metron's looking that around the cool. room. Love it, love it, <laughs> love it. So the Metrons uh, don't like violence. And they're sending Kirk and the commander of the other ship to a random deserted planet to have essentially a little battle royale uh, fight to the death. And they mention the other ship is is a Gorn ship. And I'm like, wait a minute. Gorn. This rings a bell. I, in previous episodes, I have referred to it as Gorgon. But Gorn, I knew it was Gorn, I knew there was, I knew that it was something like that. And it's Gorn. And I was like, oh, is is this going to be the big giant reptile? And Kirk is beamed away. And I was like, ah, it's the Gorn. I knew I
1: recognized this.
0: And of course, they have uh, installed CGI blinks to make him look more realistic.
1: <clears throat> oh really yeah
0: yeah you know in in case we weren't convinced before that it wasn't a man in the suit
1: <laughs> they
0: have put in blinks you know in, in the same way george lucas put uh made uh the ewoks blink in one scene uh he didn't bother with the rest of it but just that one scene he f- found it was very important to have them blink because otherwise we wouldn't believe that they were real <clears throat> But funnily enough I I did actually really like the outfit. I thought it was really good for the like for a TV show. It was a pretty impressive costume in fairness.
1: I like it. I've always yeah. liked it. I know yeah. it's kind of it, it's infamous in many different ways, but I like it. I like that look. I think it's iconic and it's yeah, I like it.
0: Yeah. And then they proceed to fight and they do the what I what I understand to be the iconic Terrible fight choreography of the slow punch across the sky, and Kirk slaps him with both hands on the back of his shoulder, and then he slowly hits his hand the other direction. Oh, it's so bad! And then he claps him across the, the head. Oh my god, like I get that they were probably trying to show that the Gorn is slow and steady and cumbersome, and Kirk is more agile. But wow, I think they could have done it in a bit of a better way. Like, the fight choreography in Shore Leave was much better than this. The fight choreography in this is god-awful. But again, I loved it. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing it. It was ridiculous, and I loved every moment of it. It was so bad. (laughs) So, Kirk throws a rock. It's not very effective. The Gorn... Lifts a massive rock and flings it at Kirk. This is something that I, that I have a pet peeve about and it's totally understandable, but it's something that I have a pet peeve about in TV shows and films for that matter. When you have something that is supposed to be heavy Mm -hmm. and when you see it bounce, I hate when you see it bounce. Because it gives the game away. Because as long as the character, the actor, acts as if it is heavy, then we'll buy that it's heavy. But when you see it bounce, like like there's a there's a bit that always jumps to mind. It's in the third Hobbit movie, even though there are only two Hobbit movies, but the third Hobbit movie, The Battle of the Five Armies, there's a bit where one of the dwarves, Keely, is carrying this huge heavy wheelbarrow full of rocks and of course this is to demonstrate just how strong the dwarves are like they're literally walking past with these huge boulders and he's carrying this big wheelbarrow and then he drops it in anger to complain to Thorin but when he drops it it kind of dung 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 dung, dung kind of bounces as it lands and it gives. whereas an if it were actually that heavy it would just go dung you know straight down which interestingly enough was a detail that they had in lord of the rings whenever bilbo drops the ring onto the floor they didn't want it to bounce and so it just goes ba-dum. and to get that shot i think they actually used a, mag- a magnet in the floor to make it just ba-dum. smart 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 but yeah so that's 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 one of my pet hits but again this is a tv show from the 60s this is the least of their concerns if whether or not a giant boulder bounces or not. Who's to know? I mean, it could be a, an, an element of that planet that these giant boulders bounce for some reason. I
1: like the way your mind works. It could be.
0: A wizard did it. I've been a, I've been a sci-fi and fantasy fan for long enough to be able to make up any excuse for anything. <laughs> and that is mine. A funny detail whether up on the bridge of the Enterprise. And it's something that's kind of annoying me. Just with regards, you know, there there, there is an element of, of sexism within the photography is I find any close up that women have in this show is a soft focus. And like like there was a it was it was just a scene between Uhura and Spock and the close ups on Spock were nice and crisp and clear. And the close ups of Uhura were soft focus. And I'm just like, really? You know, I mean. If 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 you're wanting to make her you know if if you're wanting I don't even know it's
1: like ooh dreamy woman we're just going to subconsciously have a soft focus it's but surprisingly it's surprisingly common that that was they were using that on moonlighting in the 1980s yes oh wow so, yeah and I'm pretty sure Sybil Shepherd wanted it that way because a lot of movies they were influenced by the movies of the 40s in a big way and that yes. that was done. Okay, the TV did that did that in the eighties, and, and it's so obvious now when you watch. I'm rewatching Moonlighting, and it's yeah. on a larger screen. Yes, and it's so obvious that if she's talking to Bruce Willis, as you, just exactly what you said, you see Bruce Willis, he's crisp and clear every yeah. line. Yeah. the camera cuts to her, and you're like, do I do I need to wipe my screen? Is my yeah. screen is yeah yeah fogged up? Is yeah,
0: foggy? yeah. Well, c- well, because it was funny as well. Because I was watching these episodes with my wife, and she was commenting how she's like, why are they wearing eye shadow? You know, like all the characters, they're all wearing eyeshadow. I was like, "Well, that—that that, that was just the the TV makeup of the time." I would say, and the thing is, yeah. these shows were not made to be watched on the TVs that we're watching them on now. They weren't made to be watched in HD. No, you know, they were made to be
1: watched on these tiny little screens, tiny screens with round corners that cut off a lot of the picture, and possibly even in black and white. Oh yes absolutely especially in the mid 60s very few people yeah. would have would have still yeah. would have got caught, and that's why again another thing I don't know so much about Star Trek but I know from shows of the 80s like St. Elsewhere yeah. is one of the worst offenders I'm watching that too the boom mic is clearly in shot now uh, but uh, it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been then but you can see it just coming into shot a little bit
0: oh that's interesting they were probably like, oh, it's fine. It, it won't make it into... The, it won't be on TVs anyway, so it'll be fine. Yeah. Ah, <gasps> oh, that's interesting. That's
1: and fine. there's an interesting... Another one, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but this goes back to what we were talking about, about aspect ratio. Yes. Shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer... Yeah. ...were filmed sixteen nine. Yes. But it was always intended that they be broadcast four 3. The prints do exist, and there were broadcast. BBC Two broadcasts. I've heard about this, yeah. Joss Whedon didn't want that done because... You can see things in frame. That give the game away. Yeah. Give the game away. Yeah. And the other example is Friends. Friends was also filmed 16.9. Okay. So sometimes, sometimes, and there's a few of these clips all over YouTube. In the 4.3 aspect, it's fine. Yeah. When you expand it, you can see that possibly... Lisa Kudrow had stepped out because she had no lines, and there's her double is sitting there. Oh, that's funny. You don't see the double in four three, yes, but in sixteen nine, you're like, "Who is that's that?" Not Phoebe. Yeah, who's that? That's clearly not Phoebe yeah, sitting in that yeah. seat. It's funny, actually.
0: One great example of that happening when when there's absolutely a stand-in. One of the iconic shots at the end of the two towers whenever uh, Gandalf and all the lads are coming up on their horses, coming away from... Uh, he's like, the the Battle of Helm's Deep is over. The Battle for Middle-Earth is about to begin. If you watch that shot, look over at Aomer Interestingly enough, Star Trek connection, because he's played by Karl Urban. But in this particular shot, Karl Urban is not in it it's they 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 were like oh we'll we'll replace his head later it's fine and they just forgot to replace his face so it's a completely different guy and thankfully like he looks vaguely like him and you know all focuses on gandalf so you're not watching him but if you actually look at him it's not carl Van whatsoever and for such an iconic shot of the film too it's funny so speaking of iconic shots, Kirk is down fighting the Gorn. Uh, Kirk is on the run. He's trying to fight the Gorn. He needs a weapon, but there's nothing of substance down there. He's trying the sticks, the boulders. They're just rubbish. And he's he's like picks up some bamboo. He's like, no, this isn't good. And he finds um, some like sulfur on the rocks, and he's like, there's something about this that I think I could use, but I don't know. And it's interesting actually now go, going over this structure where they they introduce. All of the elements that he uses to combine, ultimately, at the end. Everything that he tries and fails, he's, he's trying it all. Um, so, the Gorn is tying up a rock. And you hear this kind of hissy laughter, which is very funny. Just this... <laughs> and I, I'm just like, oh, I love this. There's large deposits of diamonds on this planet and of all the rich, all of the riches on this planet, I would trade it all for a phaser at my side or a solid club. So there, he spots a rock on the perch above the Gorn and I'm wondering, is the Gorn baiting him at this point? Is, does, does the Gorn want him to drop this? Cause it seems very convenient. But Kirk goes up anyway and pushes the boulder over and splat right on top of the Gorn. So Kirk goes down to confirm the kill. But shock horror, that big giant rock did not kill the Gorn. And Kirk runs away from the Gorn and this is quite interesting. It's one of the first times I've really seen Kirk quite despairing. Oh, okay, which which I thought was quite interesting. Other than uh, when Kirk was split up into two personalities, and one side of him was was despairing, but this is the first time I have I've seen Kirk kind of genuinely scared going. I don't think I'm going to make it out of this, which I thought was again a very very interesting development for his character.
1: That, that is very interesting, yeah.
0: So Kirk runs straight into the Gorn's trap. Very obvious tripwires. Like if he was li- if he had literally just watched where he was going, he could have jumped over it, but no, of course, he spends his entire time conveniently looking backwards while he's running. So uh, he triggers the trap and all boulders fall on top of him and he is trapped under these and the Gorn approaches with an obsidian dagger or what it appears to be because he's going to kill the White Walkers. It's oh, it's it's brilliant. Uh, Kirk, Kirk manages to get away, he runs away, and then there's this cheesy, cliched shot of the Gorn walking towards the camera out of focus i was like ah brilliant it's it's just so camp i have since actually watched because i'd seen it before and this was partially why you know i i knew this scene so well or at least why i was familiar with the how iconic this was was when back in 2013 there was a star trek video game and the advertisement of it was william shatner playing with the gorn like they're playing a co-op a game of it and he's like oh you never have my back and they get into an argument and they recreate the fight uh with all the terrible choreography and uh, of course they're old now so they're exhausted by doing it but it's really funny
1: i was actually reading about that 2013 ad i've never seen it that's why i got distracted yeah i must actually look it up when we're finished i had never seen that it was actually the same actor inside the suit as well the same guy came back to do that Oh, really? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, same guy came back. Oh, that's... Bobby Bobby Clark, he, repri- he later reprised his Gordon performance uh, in the uh, uh, 2013 arena parody for the Star Trek video game. Yeah. Oh, that's he funny. It twice. He, he came back in 2009 as well. There was a documentary, yeah. Bring Back Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Is that one of the Channel 4 ones? Yeah, what's his name?
0: Um, The guy guy with the long hair. Justin
1: Lee Collins.
0: Justin Lee Collins, who (laughs) fell from
1: grace. The guy. Oh, okay. I don't know anything about him. The guy in the Gorn suit is the same guy. So the guy. Oh, there you go. He he kept coming back to play the Gorn. Yeah, there
0: you go. That That was his claim to fame. He was like, You don't know my face, but you know my physiology. So Spock talks with the Metrons, and they're like, Okay, well. Uh, Your violence shows your lack of civilization, so you're not quite ready to play ball with us just yet. But seeing as you seem to care about Kirk, we're going to let you watch. So for the second time in Star Trek history, the cast of Star Trek... Watch an episode of Star, so, of Star Trek, <laughs> Trek. <laughs> where they're watching Kirk versus the Gorn on their screen. Spock recognizes the potassium nitrate. There's all of these different chemicals, all these different things around right? it's 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 like a it's like a point-and-click PC game where there's like, okay, there's this thing here and that thing there and this thing here, and I've gathered them all up together. Wait a minute, if I combine this with this and this, it's like MacGyver and Breaking Bad eat your heart out like this is this is long before they were doing any of that so um Gorn of course actually because Kirk has been recording himself but the Gorn actually picked up one of his communicators so the gorn is able to listen to all of kirk's whinging going i don't think i'm going to be able to make it out here meanwhile the gorn sitting there listening in going ha, "Ha ha he eventually gets in touch with kirk and he's like earthling captain you all must be wary of the chase and he offers him if you stop running away i will make your death relatively painless and quick sweet You know, it's like a sweet deal. So it turns out that Cestus Three was an intrusion that the Earthlings should not have been there. And Bones and Spock are talking about this. And Bones makes a very interesting point. He's like, we might have been in the wrong. I was like, oh, really? Oh, that's that's nice to contemplate. It's possible that us going and sticking our nose where we may not have been welcome was actually us being in the wrong. But we were bringing civilization. Is oh, maybe they already had civilization and we just didn't recognize it. Ooh, nice commentary. Nice, Isn't it nice brilliant? commentary. Yeah, Is this it's from great.
1: 1966. Big time. Brilliant.
0: So Kirk has finally worked out what to do. He plays a Walter White MacGyver, and he <laughs> makes what turns out to be a kind of cannon shotgun thing where he loads it full of diamonds. I wonder how this episode was written. Like, did they include Spock and the crew watching it? Did they add that later because Kirk running around scared wasn't tracking well enough, wasn't playing well enough? Because it feels like Spock is just playing a running commentary on what's going on Mm -hmm. and what's going through Kirk's mind. So I would be curious to see if that was added later to to, to, to make it work. So ultimately long story short Kirk blasts the Gorn uh, with his MacGyver cannon and uh, pumps him full of diamond shrapnel which is fairly impressive but when he goes to finish the job he goes over and grabs the Gorn's own obsidian dagger and he goes to stab it through his throat but he can't he has a Bilbo Baggins moment where he takes pity on him. And if there's anyone who knows anything about Bilbo Baggins, it's Leonard Nimoy. Have you heard the ballad of Bilbo Baggins? I'm aware of it, but I've never... In the middle of the earth, in the land called Shire, lives a brave little hobbit who we all admire. It's Bilbo, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, only three feet tall. Anyway, so Kirk has a, a Bilbo moment where he decides to not kill the Gorn. Uh, Not not only does he have a Bilbo moment, he then has a Katniss Everdeen moment from the Hunger Games, where he basically shouts out to the Metrons going, you can get your entertainment someplace else. I'm not going to kill him. So the Metrons show up. They're uh, 1,500 years old, sparkly dress, blonde curls, (laughs) uh, very androgynous. It's really interesting how quite often they will present quote unquote higher beings as androgynous. I find that quite interesting.
1: Oh yeah.
0: They have gotten beyond the realms of gender politics. That's that's quite interesting. But something that I that I had noted just before this where I was wondering like, for all the the metrons being this higher being going, oh no, you sir too violent to interact with us. Why are they putting them on a planet to kill each other to the death? Kill each other to the death. That's by definition what to the death means, John. Um, (laughs) yeah, I was, I was kind of, I was wondering. This is a very hypocritical thing, but it was possibly a test, possibly a test to see. If they would go through. And Kirk... Say, now, I don't think they actually say whether or not it was a test. But I, I think maybe Kirk was just an anomaly. But Kirk decides to choose non-violence. And the Metrons are impressed with this. And they say, maybe in a thousand years, we might contact you. When we're ready. But there's hope for you yet. which uh, Which was quite nice. And then... As it turns out... So Kirk is beamed back to the ship, but it turns out then the Enterprise has been teleported to the other end of the galaxy (laughs) randomly. And he's like, okay, Sulu, get us back to where we should be. And so they decide to just go back to... Was it Citrus 3 or whatever it's called? And it was kind of a a, a bizarre end to be because it's like, well, what's the point of them being... Or was it just demonstrating how powerful the Metrons were that they could just warp them to the other end of the galaxy but yeah i loved this episode it was great it was a lot of fun and not only that but it was one of those absolutely iconic episodes
1: oh yeah i mean that image is is one of the most i mean i have it up here on yeah. screen in front of me and it's you know when you see the two of them fighting like that uh and it is a fun episode it's yeah really, i think it's really popular with, yeah. with everybody for exactly the reasons that you cite
0: yeah it's super silly, like, you know, there, you, you couldn't take this episode seriously, but the fact that the episode is taking itself seriously is what makes it good. It's like, I don't think this episode was written to be a silly episode. I don't think no, it was. It, ha-
1: it has serious points in it, though. I mean, it does, it re- It puts forward this idea that maybe we're not in the right, we think we're bringing yeah. civilization to these places yeah. and we're not. That that still resonates to this day. In fact, more so maybe than than in the past. You know,
0: yeah. I don't think it was written as a silly episode. Like yeah, no, you, no, no. You, you know, like the way of um, like shore leave, for example, mm. uh, or muds women was was a was a bit silly.
1: Both of those are silly. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah. Whereas I think this episode, that's why that fight is so hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is because it is taking itself very seriously. Very much so. Yeah. But. uh Episode 20, Mm. Tomorrow is Yesterday. Ah, yes. This was a fun episode. I enjoyed this. Um, So, in many, many, many episodes ago, I can't remember which one specifically, they very casually discover that time travel is a possibility.
1: Yep. That's a thing we can do now. And in this
0: episode, we time travel. By accident, but uh, we time travel now. The episode opens with some Air Force stock footage of uh, lovely silvery nineteen sixties jet planes taking off, which for the time is really state of the art. I mean, like jet technology was, and jet fighters. Like it's cool to see these that they were that they were able to use these planes uh, in their footage because they were the the kind of state of the art for the time as far as I know. So they're picking up a ship, a UFO. And then we see the Starship Enterprise in the sky. And it's... It's hilarious. I love it. And then it's... It it, it cuts to the title sequence. It's like, oh, the Enterprise is in 1960s, or I suppose, at the time, the Enterprise is in modern day. The present day, yes, yes. Yeah. Like, it's funny, because now, it's a period piece. But... And I always always, always find this interesting, the difference between period pieces and when it is just contemporary. Like, I noticed this when I was watching All the President's Men, Mm. and then I watched The Post, and two very similar films, very similar. And they kind of work as, like, the final shot of The Post almost dovetails into the opening shot of All the President's Men. But it's funny because there's there are shots in the post where like they they ask to get the telephone in the restaurant, and so they go over and 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 take the re- the restaurant's phone to make a phone call. And there's all these you know heavy duty close up shots of um, like the rotary phone and all of this kind of thing, and like it it fetishizes all of this retro technology, whereas. Watching all the president's men, it's like, well, yeah, it's a phone, <laughs> yeah, just do it that's that's what it is, and I always love when you see that when you see things in their natural habitat, so it turns out the the enterprise was dragged into a black star with such high gravity at this point, I'm wondering, was black hole in the vernacular at that point is is that what they're talking about here i wonder
1: always
0: i'm not I'm not sure when the concept of a black hole became popularized. But I think it's possible that this maybe predates that. I'm not sure. They So they flew too close to this black star and they got thrown out. They got thrown out here, wherever here is. And Uhura uh, is trying to contact Starfleet, but they just get static. But then they hear another frequency and it is talking about the astronaut's uh, mission going, going to the moon. And they're like, wait a minute. We're in the late 1960s what year did this episode air
1: uh this would have aired on the 26th of january 1967
0: oh wow two years before i mean obviously the apollo mission was uh, was going at that point but that's cool that's you know they're they this was very much in the zeitgeist and it makes so much sense where they're sitting there going people are excited about sending a man to the moon let's make an episode of it that it's it's cool that's nice yeah. um this episode almost felt a bit like a doctor who episode in in some regards also a really nice detail that they had in the bridge of the enterprise the natural sky light coming in into the bridge was really good it was you know you felt like you weren't in space you felt like it was being lit by the sky and i was like that's someone who is paying attention to their lighting right there now that being said the lighting of star trek has been super impressive i've really 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 liked it so there's a jet observing the enterprise from below and they may attempt to bring it down. And and this jet is potentially carrying nukes, which just complicates things. So Kirk decides to catch the jet in a tractor beam, but of course, because this jet isn't a futuristic machine, the tractor beam begins to crush the jet. So they decide to beam up the pilot instead. And, Kirk is there to welcome Captain John Christopher, who is the pilot. And he is super edgy. He's like, oh, you speak English? He's like, of course I speak English. You know, of course, you know, trying to work out. Is this the Russians? Where are we? What is this? What's going on? And as they're walking down the corridor, a female crew member comes walking past. He's like, what, a woman? And he's like, yeah, she's she's a member of the crew. It's like, ooh, politics. I love it. Interesting little bit of world building. Actually, there's a lot of world building in this because... Finally, we have an Earth person to explain things to. So Kirk is explaining that the Enterprise is one of 12 of its kind. So there are 12 other ships like the Enterprise, which is interesting. And uh, mentions that it's of the United Earth. Oh, God, that sounds amazing. It sounds so good. (laughs) And he's like, what, United Earth? He's like, yeah. United Earth. And you, and there's just this kind of, this undertone of, yeah, we managed to get past all of the yeah. insanity of the 20th and 21st century. So cool, yeah. We are now the United. Oh, yeah. like, oh, I love the optimism of this show. And I just, I wish we could get there faster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. Yeah. so, Uhura is showing him around the bridge, which I would say is a massive culture shock, (laughs) because not not only is it a woman showing him around the bridge, it's a black woman showing him around the bridge, Uh, which, even though the military was integrated at that point, it still uh, still would have been uh, quite a thing. Spock doesn't want to return Christopher because it could change the future.
1: This is one of my hates about this episode. It's like everything Kirk has just done is just... The worst oh, yeah. possible thing. Hundred percent. Bring the guy aboard. Tell him everything. Yeah. Show him everything, and then Spock, as you say, is like, "Well, we can't send him back."
0: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what? What next is he going to do? Give him a sports almanac? <laughs> oh god. So, so Kirk decides to meet him in the office, and he's recording things into his computer, and the computer is talking back. Yes, dear. Of course, I will record that for you, dear. And it's like, what is going on with this? And then Christopher comes in and Spock comes in as well. And they overhear the computer talking to him like this. And it's, it's like. They're working out what's what's going on here. Why is your computer talking like, like that? Of course, Christopher is super impressed that there's a computer that's able to talk like this at all. So it turns out that the computer was being repaired on Signet 14 and they gave the computer a female personality because apparently that colony was predominantly female. But it's kind of like, okay, so, I mean, if 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 they're, like, trying to go for a feminist vibe here, or... But why, then, is the voice so subservient? <laughs> you know, why is it speaking like a Stepford wife? <laughs> but who's to know? <laughs> so Spock checked the tapes, and Captain John Christopher has made no relative contribution to history, which must be a terrible thing to hear. <laughs> You know, it's like Earth, mostly harmless. He's like, but I have a wife and two children. At this point, I'm sitting there going, so they don't have like Men in Black neuralizers to to, to fix this problem, or, but apparently not that that hasn't been invented in this universe. So Scotty is fixing the engines. Note on Scotty, actually, I discovered this. Well, uh, my wife pointed this out to me. That uh, the what's what's the actor who plays Scotty? Doohan, Jimmy Do James Doohan. James Doohan. Um, yeah, his, his both his parents are from Northern Ireland, but he was from Vancouver, and he fought in. Because my wife's from Winnipeg, so she got very excited when it turned out he fought for. He fought in the Winnipeg Gunners or something like that, but he fought in the Normandy landings in World War Two. Oh yes, I think I knew
1: that. Yes, that, that.
0: on Juneau Beach.
1: Yes, I think I knew which that.
0: is thoroughly impressive, and also that he came up with the idea of making his character Scottish.
1: Oh, okay, that's possibly again. Apparently. Yeah, yeah.
0: So Captain Christopher is on the loose now. He has decided, nope, I am going to escape here uh, no matter what. Kirk catches him in the beamy uppie room and he has a wonderful little piece of choreographed terrible fighting with him and it's great. Another little detail that they dropped was there are 430 people on the Enterprise, which I thought was uh, a, a, another nice detail to get to know. So that's a massive crew. Yeah, because they were talking about, look, if he goes down, that's one thing. But we have nowhere to go. We you know we can't go and contact Starfleet, so we are stuck in the sixties as well, and we can't just go down to Earth because then that's four hundred and thirty people who could potentially go and change the future, uh, which is uh, very interesting indeed. And yeah, and Kirk explains, or it was see, the Kirkerspock explains in our society, Captain Christopher is useless; he would be archaic. And Bones says, you know, could he be retrained? Could he be reeducated? And It's really, really, really interesting concept. Really interesting, you know, can these, can these, can an old dog learn new tricks? And then Spock comes in and realized that he has made an error again with his... Pronunciations of his oars at the end of his words. Sensors, tr- projectors, errors. He has made an error. And the error in Christopher was that Christopher's son becomes Colonel Sean Jeffrey Christopher, who goes on the first probe to Saturn. Ah. So he is important. Now, he still hasn't gone to Saturn in our lifetime. So I, I don't know. You better get a move on. Yeah. I mean, I, I have written here, God, we were ambitious and it, it's something that it, it is quite depressing you know when you look at just how optimistic and how ambitious people were in the past it, like basically up up until 911 i think people had a really a really positive view of the future i think there's, um, there's
1: an excellent apple tv series i've been watching called for all mankind and it's ronald yes. Moore who was one of the main yeah. writers, producers on Star Trek in the 90s. Mm. And it it it's it based on what happened at NASA in the 1970s. At the start of the 70s, they were gung-ho and very much on for doing all of these things. Yeah. There was a big change in NASA in the mid-70s, a big yeah. change, and yeah. that took the wind out of everything. And what this show has done is... He's he's a friend in NASA, and they put together this idea of what could have happened. So it's science fiction set in the 1970s, assuming NASA had stayed on track. Ah, yeah. So where I am in the show at the moment, by the mid 1970s, late, late mid late 70s, they already have a moon base and there are people on yeah. the moon and stuff like that. Yeah. They really were on track to do a lot of things. They were, they were they were doing it, and then they just stopped.
0: Yeah yeah i th- I think yeah i think challenger uh, had a had a major part particularly in the public eye looking towards space exploration mm. the challenger disaster for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is because you know shockingly there are some people who everything is new to someone
1: yes
0: and um the challenger disaster i'm not was it
1: 1988
0: 83 three, i would have thought. 83 oh yeah, yeah. ah yeah i'm ah, yeah. Um, I wasn't born then, so it happened before my time. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in uh, nineteen early eighties, yeah. the space shuttle was was a new and exciting piece of technology. Where it was essentially a giant. Well, it could. It was a rocket that could take off, fly about in space, and then land back down on the planet like an airplane which was very exciting because it could potentially save a lot of costs. But then in the early 80s, uh, the Challenger, which was uh, one of the space shuttles, was taking up... I think she she was a teacher.
1: Yes, she was,
0: yeah. And she was to be like one of the first civilians into space. And as part of this, there was a huge publicity campaign about this and people were watching this and people were going, oh, everybody was watching this on live TV going, oh, wow, yeah, the Challenger. And it blew up as it was taking off. And it was horrific. Killed everybody aboard, but everybody watched it. 86.
1: January 28th, 1986. Wow.
0: And and it just, I think it really brought home... I mean, not that space exploration wasn't dangerous before that. I mean, Mm. many, many people died in the process of getting a man to the moon, you know? But I think this just... Really stuck in a lot of people's. Uh, a lot of children watched this, you know, in a similar way. Like, like nine eleven happened when I was what what age was I? I was twelve, you know, and that was a very formative thing in my adolescent years. And I'd imagine, you know, that the Challenger disaster would have been a similar formative thing uh, in a lot of uh,
1: young people of the eighties. Of course, oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but uh, let's see where were we?
1: But yeah, you were saying that they were ambitious, and he was his son was going to go to Saturn.
0: His son had gone to Saturn. That's the thing. His son wasn't born yet. But uh, as far as Kirk in in their timeline, he had already gone to Saturn. Um, so Kirk is sitting there going, "Well, like people, I, I've read about this in the past, and UFOs were often disregarded as like weather balloons and whatnot." And I find that was quite interesting because I think that's one of the common ones for. Area 51. Although apparently I think Area 51, it was it was just super high-tech jets that they were testing that people didn't know what they were looking at, so they thought they were UFOs. But apparently that's what that's what the UFOs were in around Area 51. Sorry, conspiracy theorists. So Spock is beginning to think that they could actually reverse the time warp process, which is interesting. Uh, But before they do anything, they need to go and retrieve the photos because Christopher's plane was taking photos all the time. And even though it would have crashed, the photos would be salvageable. So they have to go down to this military base in Nebraska and find these photos. So Kirk and Sulu beam down and and I'm sitting there going, oh, no. Late 1960s Asian guy running around a, a U.S. military base. They're going to think he's a Vietnamese spy. Thankfully, that was not the case, and they kept that uh, out of the text altogether and out of the subtext indeed as well. And um, so they luckily have a little lockpicker device, which was very impressive. There was a shot of the Enterprise flying above the Earth, and the moon was in it, and it was so weird seeing our moon in a shot of Star Trek. I thought that was quite cool. So Kirk and Sulu are caught stealing these tapes, and the guy who captures them. He takes their communicator. The communicator bleeps and the Enterprise just straight up beams him aboard as well. I never caught his name. The dude is just frozen. He is sitting there going, what is going on? Spock walks up to him, disarms him and the guy's just staying in place going, what is going on? So Kirk and Sulu continue to wander around. I'm thoroughly impressed that 23rd century Kirk can make sense of 20th century analog tape technology because I can't even make sense of 20th century tape technology Uh, (laughs) in a grand digital world. I'm thoroughly impressed. So they sneak into the photo lab, but again, they're caught. They are the worst. Worst. (laughs) Oh my God. Like they are terrible at sneaking around. So Kirk leaps at them. He literally throws himself. This was one of the funniest fights. Like at one point I think he kind of jumps horizontally at them. I was like, are are they trying to create this kind of futuristic martial arts kind of like this this is how close quarters combat happens? in the future it's so ridiculous he grabs onto the top of the door and swings himself up so one guy flies under him then he hops over the next guy it is so bad it's wonderful so sulu is beamed up he escapes and kirk is caught and interrogated and bones is worried about kirk while spock begins to test his theory kirk is being questioned by one of the other generals down there or whatever his rank is i didn't quite catch his rank Kirk is being super sassy. He's like, I'm a little green man from Alpha Centauri. It's really nice there. You should go there. And he's being accused of sabotage and espionage right in the middle of the Cold War. Don't blame these guys for being super cagey about how how these guys got in. Spock, Sulu, and Christopher beam back down uh, with two phasers, heavy stun force uh, as they're set to. Oh, and, and a, a lovely little detail. This is the first time it's been properly shown that this machine does this. We've seen this. This is the food generator machine, whatever whatever we call it. Ah, okay.
1: okay.
0: But this is the first time that it's been shown that you can literally just say, oh, I want to eat this, and it will make you this. Because... Uh, The captain who's been captured up on the Enterprise, he's like, "Uh, I want some chicken soup. And the other guy's like, all right, okay. And just straight up makes him a bowl of chicken soup right there. And he's like, it's chicken soup, which was quite entertaining. So Christopher walks past a guard uh, down the corridor in this military base and then Sulu just straight up judo chops him in the back and they rescue Kirk, but Christopher pulls a gun on them and he because he wants to return. He's like, no, 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 I have to go back now. Spock Vulcan death grips him because he's like, no, you can't return here. You have to show up where you disappeared. Otherwise, people are going to ask too many questions. And so... Spock devises that if they fly at the sun, they can slingshot around the sun and time warp their way back to where they need to go. But not only that, but on their way past the earth, they can fly past the time that they need to return the other two lads to, which is super convenient. But also, I really liked how they talked about slingshotting because I would say, again, the people of America anyway would have been probably would have been familiar with this idea of slingshotting because that is what they used for the lunar missions. And it's quite possible that people who are interested in how the lunar mission was going to work, they would know how slingshotting worked, where the rocket would go up and around the moon, and the, the moon's gravitational pull would slingshot them back to Earth. So I thought that was quite cool. So that's exactly what they do. They they decide to slingshot around, and they and they fly through it. So they beam Christopher and the other lad back, but Christopher doesn't remember. Now, I have a massive problem with this. This does not make any sense, Michael, whatsoever, and I'm very annoyed. So, first of all, they replace him before he was beamed up? Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. Like, unless they beam up the previous Christopher and, like, just kill him or something. Because this was the thing that I was, the quandary that I was thinking beforehand. It's like, If they beam him up, or if they beam him back down to past time, then the Enterprise isn't going to be there to beam him up in the first place. Therefore, there will be two Christophers. But then as the show presents it, they just straight up make up their own rules and replace him. But the only way that this is to make sense is if they actually prematurely beam up the past self who's down on the Earth... Beam him up
1: and swap him with the one that they have up. It makes no sense. It makes, it makes no sense. sense. I, 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 in my <laughs> review from nineteen ninety three, when I watched this on BBC, I said the exact same thing. The ending is nonsense. Yeah. Where are the people beamed into or onto them? How are they beamed into or onto themselves before the events occurred? There's yeah. nothing that makes sense about that
0: without any knowledge yeah. of. You know, like, that's it silly. It I mean... It doesn't work for me. <laughs> Star Trek. It's silly. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I enjoy a good time travel story, but um, it has to make some... Even Even if it follows its own mm. rules, but this one just seems to make up rules as it goes mm. along. So this is something I have noted here. If time travel is this doable, if it is possible for time travel, and you can change the past and people worry about changing the past... Could someone harness this power? Could this be used in the future? Which is quite a dangerous thought. Yes, Although I'm pretty sure that there is time travel involved in First Contact. That's
1: exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. I was. That was the one I was yeah. thinking
0: of. Yep. But I'm actively not trying to remember First Contact, because I barely remember it mm. anyway, so I don't want to remember anymore. Uh, but yeah, as, as far as I remember, there is time travel in that. So... They return to their own time. Starfleet Control is messaging them. They're happy and they all live happily ever after. Or at least uh, all live happily ever after to the end of this episode. Yeah, this this was a fun episode. I, I suppose the history nerd in me would have liked for them to have delved more into 1960s, more into what was going on in the world and commenting a little bit more on... But then again, trying to be completely... Com- trying to comment massively on what was going on in the world at the moment was probably way too topical for a silly science fiction show to do on American mm-hmm. TV but still but still, I, I enjoyed this I loved it
1: I, I have to say I've already said about Shore Leave that I really don't like it there's only three episodes in season one that I don't like and this is the second one and I don't like it I just ah. don't like it because of the reasons you cited the ending doesn't make sense yeah. to me And the beginning where Kirk brings the guy around and says, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. can't send you back now because I have showed you all that. Yeah. My thoughts were they could have just left him in the transporter room. Exactly. Exactly. That's you know, what I was that's thinking. That's I don't like. Yeah.
0: If, if, if they'd have kept him in, then he could have come back down and been like, oh, I was abducted by aliens. And they had a big bright room and they're like, sure, Christopher. <laughs> but he
1: didn't even need to know he was in a spaceship. He could have thought he was underground. He could have thought he was anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. There's, as much as I love time travel stories, this is the second of... I think it's three. I'm just looking at my grades here. I think there's only three that I really don't like. And this is the second one. Ah, there you go. There you go. I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely not one of my no, favorites. But it was fun. Yeah, there's it fun was elements fun. in it. I mean, I agree there's fun elements in it. Yeah. What's interesting too, you, you referred to it actually. And I only rem- I was only reminded of this as you spoke. Yes, time travel was invented at the end of The Naked Time. The Naked Time. And what I had forgotten, which I now... Originally, this was meant to be part two of that. Naked Time was conceived as a cliffhanger Ah. ending where they arrived back at Earth. And somewhere in those early few weeks of production, they decided, no, we're not going to do a two-parter. We'll we'll split it up. But the idea was that this was part two of a two-part story.
0: That makes more sense. And that would have been a lot more satisfying. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, because the way that they ultimately ended up leaving the naked time was... So, time travel is a thing. We may or may not come back to that at a later date, but... uh, Time travel! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I take this as an absolute win. Yeah, that's, that's about the height of it. But no, it's interesting you say that because that makes a lot more sense. But yeah... So that was two more intrepid adventures into the world of Star Trek, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next two. I have no idea what they're about, and I plan to keep it that way because I'm yes. loving all of the. Like I, I, I don't even read synopses of these at all. I just I go in blind as best as I can.
1: You only have ten episodes left of the first season in air date, so you're Ooh. you're down to the last five shows. Yeah, you're really flying through these. There you go. Hold on, down to the last yeah, five yeah. shows. Yeah, we, we only five more of these. If we do two every time, we oh, do a show, oh, oh, five, I, I, two, I five shows. Of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Off season one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. Ten episodes that's of Star true. Trek. Yeah,
0: exciting um, times.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking down the list, and I'm pretty sure that what I said hangs true. There's only one of these ten that I don't like. So that's that's something for me anyway. It's yeah. only one of these I don't like.
0: Well. Mr. Michael Addy, that has been another episode of Where Many Have Gone Before. Yes, it has.
1: Any final thoughts? No final thoughts. I hope you enjoy the next two episodes. I hope you enjoy the next ten episodes yeah, and the true. next hundred and something <laughs> Me too. But no, I hope you enjoy them. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, I think you're, you're going to enjoy them because you've enjoyed all yes. the key ones so far. And you're even enjoying the weaker ones. By your own admission, the ones that are weaker Still have something to be found in them yeah. that makes them worth watching, and that's a key thing to be a Star yep. Trek fan. It's a key thing to be a Doctor Who fan. As well. Yeah, it's a key thing to be a lot of these things where you you watch. Yeah, you you just go. It's not great, but I like it.
0: Yeah, because cause, cause that because that's what I've been noticing with Star Wars: The Clone Wars, which I've been watching. Is when it's good, it is brilliant. But there are a couple of complete dud episodes where I just get to the end of it and it's like oh, what was the point of that but how and ever how and ever Um, if anyone can hear that that's my dog going nuts he's just being super dramatic I think I've said this before (laughs) on this podcast but he's just being super dramatic because he's wanting to be in the kitchen but he's got an entire back garden to be happy with so (sighs) he's hes He's a drama queen, he's an absolute drama queen <laughs> and on that note, folks, uh I will leave you to it, and as they say in the world of Star Trek, live long and carry on. Thanks for listening, folks. Don't forget to check out Mr. Michael Letty at Riker Donegal on Twitter. Instagram, and all sorts of social media places. You can find myself, John D. Ruddy, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube, at John D. Ruddy. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash John D. Ruddy. If you know of anybody who would enjoy this podcast, please pass it on. This podcast was hosted by John D. Ruddy with special guest Michael Heddy. It was produced and edited by John D. Ruddy and the theme tune is by John D. Ruddy. And as they say in the world of Star Trek, live long and black lives matter.